Welcome to The Briefing, a daily analysis of news and events from a christ Center perspective. I'm Al Moeller. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. I Sorry. was just channeling my, channeling my inner Moeller. Wrong podcast, everyone. Yeah, wrong podcast. Mike's we would have millions. We, we would, would have millions of people listening to this, and we would get very proud. And we need to be humble and just have our three <laughs> listeners enjoy <laughs> what we put together here today. That's exactly right. Mike's been listening to a lot of The Briefing, if you can't tell. <laughs> uh, we've got our wires crossed there this morning. Well, good morning. This is the Ordinary Church Podcast, and you are joined not by Al Muller, but by me, Connor, and Mike. And uh, we are still excited to be here with you. Uh, maybe you're driving. Maybe you're at home with your kids. Maybe you're at work. Yeah, maybe you're sipping on some lemonade on a nice, you know, balmy uh, uh, <laughs> May day in, in Southern California. Or maybe you're across the world, or maybe you're going through a really tough struggle in your life. But we're here today to answer some questions about the Bible, and we're in a seven-part series. This is part three on you know, how to study the Bible. So we're excited about it, and we are serious about it. I know we've looked at three questions already. Excuse me, two questions and a third today. That's right. Well, why can we trust the Bible was week one. Uh, it's inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient. Uh, we looked at the 1978 statement on um, biblical inerrancy, the Chicago statement. Uh, basically, which says the Bible is really, really, really true. Yep. And then we talked about uh, last week, how can we understand the Bible? Talked about the Holy Spirit's role in providing illumination for us. Talked about his uh, work to basically turn the lights on in our head so that we can actually understand what's there. And obviously all of that comes with our effort and study, but we're ultimately relying on the Spirit's power to give us insight into the Word. We can only understand the Word if we're believers and Especially, we can only love the Word and see the glory of Christ if we're believers. So now we want to get to this third question that we're tackling today. And Mike, I'm just going to put it to you. Uh, the question is, how are we to study the Bible? How are we to study the Bible? So we talked last week about how, how can we understand the Bible through the work of the Holy Spirit. But now we're kind of pivoting from there to say, okay, understanding that we're relying on the Holy Spirit, how then should we approach the task of studying the Bible? So... Let me kick it to you. Why don't you give us at least just your initial overarching thoughts, and then we can get into some, some more details. Okay, so the overarching thought to begin with, how are we to study the Bible, is from a historical grammatical hermeneutic. Uh, that Basically, the context, the, the original writers uh, were writing to an original audience. Uh, it's important to know that context and why it was being written. Uh, words matter, so the grammar and, and the actual words that are being used. This is the way we want to handle the Word of God. Words mean something. They matter. Grammar matters. Syntax matters. Genre matters. We need to be careful. We need to be diligent. We need to be precise. Now, let me start with a, a little bit of a story, mm -hmm. okay? When I was a brand new believer in 1982, I, I came to know Christ. I had been under the preaching of the gospel for a couple years, God really convicted me of my sin. I really was, was blown away that, that Jesus is God and the Bible is absolutely true. But here's what happened. I started reading the Bible. I mean, I really started devouring the Bible. But I read it unknowingly, you know, straight up, but basically then reading all my ideas into it. Like, I would get to a place like Isaiah 40, which is just a beautiful, beautiful chapter, right? And it starts... Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And I would immediately think, yeah, because God comforts me. Mm -hmm. And I would read, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. And I'd think, 
Well, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> That's just filler words, you know. And her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. And then I'd be going, yeah, because I know how sinful I am and God has forgiven me of my sins. And, and you just keep going and going. And it's easy just to superimpose your own self into the scriptures like it's all about God applying it to me. Now, the thing is, there's something to that that you want to take it personally. The problem is, is when you don't understand that God was talking about comforting his people and it was a time when, you know, Babylon was in play. It was a time when God's people were, you know, uh, very disobedient many times and that uh, God's people were being disciplined for their sins and God was promising in his covenant love, his, his, um, his redemption. But it's also continuing the the, uh, the, the, the redemption story that started in Genesis. So you go, you really have to understand Genesis first. And if you don't get, I said this recently in a sermon, if you don't get Genesis right, you'll get the whole Bible wrong. And the idea is that Isaiah, just if we're talking about Isaiah, he's living in a time of, of huge decline in Israel, right? And uh, they got the Assyrian Empire that's kind of towering above them. And uh, Isaiah's talking to people that were deaf and blind spiritually. And they were not listening to to the, the prophecy of impending disaster upon them because of their sins. And he's warning them. Uh, he's warning the people of Judah, particularly. Uh, you're going to bring God's judgment on yourselves. And he's saying, you know, God is sovereign. He's going to bring a foreign king to, to return the people um, to, from exile. He's going to use a, what, a Persian, right? Cyrus the Persian. And he's talking then about a servant. And he's like, well, wait. And then we see this, and we're like, yeah, we know he's talking about... Uh, the man of sorrows would be wounded for our transgressions and and it's going to be God bringing about his purposes of salvation and it's this description of the new creation. Think about the end of Isaiah and this is all about, you know, Eden 2.0 and everything else. But the thing is, if you just jump into Isaiah, just jump into the pool and start reading it just with eyes about what is there for me, you can miss some of the main meaning and really the then the application for your life. Mm -hmm. So it's important, I think, to understand all of this, very important, crucially important, how you handle the Word of God. Would you say that if someone doesn't understand these things, they'd be in danger of, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, they'd be in danger of essentially reading the Bible, and I have air quotes, but reading the Bible and inserting their own meaning and then taking that meaning that's just from their own head as the authoritative Word of God. But really, but really missing the actual point of the text. Yes, the old eisegesis rather than exegesis. Yep. So instead of taking the meaning and letting it spring straight from the text, you would press a meaning into the text. And I knew I did that a lot when I was a brand new believer until I started, you know, learning how to handle the word. And really, so I got saved in 82, was in seminary by 85. And that's when I started, you know, taking hermeneutics classes, taking... You know, what is what is Protestant biblical interpretation? What does it mean that there's one interpretation, but there can be many applications? And really, a better way to say it is there's probably a few really good applications. And I think that kind of footing is what we need to be teaching, you know, the, the body of Christ, because we do read ourselves into it. And then what happens is we can we can twist it because then we're going to have our kind of our sinful bent superimposed and 
Why do you think so many crazy teachings are out there? And so many, and, and why so many Christians have crazy ideas about the Bible? Yeah, no, it's true. I was on a website yesterday. I mean, this this guy wasn't even a believer. Very clearly cult leader and that kind of thing. But, you know, he's re- he's quoting passages of Scripture and pulling out all kinds of just insane meanings by, you know, honing in on a certain word or that kind of thing. And, yeah, it's just, it's it's uh, maybe in some sense alarming how fast you can move away from the, the meaning of the author if you're not being careful with these things. So talk to me about this. You know, I, I'm someone who... I love the Lord. I love the Bible. I, you know, try to be consistent in my daily reading, but never went to Bible college. I don't have a seminary degree. I, you know, maybe I feel like I'm a little undergunned in terms of having some of these different, you know, sources of, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, knowledge speaking into my Bible reading. Do you have any practical encouragements to that kind of person who's wanting to be careful in their study of the Word? Yes, sure. Now you weren't speaking autobiographically there. Sorry. You're getting your seminary, you're getting your seminary degree this Sunday. Your That's MDiv. Right. What was your emphasis? Was it Bible exposition or was is it general? General okay. pastoral ministry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Bible exposition to me is is really an exegesis. You have to be solid in that. And the question is, well, so do you have to go to seminary to get this? And the answer is no. No. But. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to, you know, it's interesting. We kind of started off on a light note this morning. I kind of wish we would have been, I would have been more serious at the beginning because I hope people didn't tune out and say, oh, they're just joking <laughs> around. This is of utmost importance. And I would never want someone to think, and we said this early on, that every believer can open up their Bible. Every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. They can open up their Bible and understand it. But that does not mean that we know everything there is to know. And that does not mean that we shouldn't be learning and growing. For example, some of the self-taught people in history that are some of the best expositors of Scripture started schools to train people. And so I wouldn't want anyone to think, you know, seminary isn't important. We don't want to downplay that. But on the other hand, we don't want to say, if you don't go to seminary, you're somehow deficient. I will say this. There can be someone who's gone to seminary that's very deficient Mm -hmm. and someone who is has never been to seminary who's very proficient, but that isn't usually the norm, okay? The norm is the more you study and the more you learn from the great wealth of, of, of even writings and books that are outside the Bible that support a solid handling of Scripture, and God has granted these gifts to the church, that you learn and grow more in your appreciation and preciseness and study of the Word so that you don't want to be haphazard with the word. And so here's what I would say. Let's say you're a point in your life where you're like, you know, I'm too old to learn this. I don't want to learn this, or I've got too many other things to do. I'm, we're not gonna, I'm not going to blame you for that. What I would say is this. Study the Bible, read it very carefully. And even if you have, and again, you know, I'm always railing on people that are reading all the notes in their study Bible instead of, instead of reading the Bible in their Bible. But let's just say you have a good study Bible, maybe a, a Reformation study Bible or an ESV study Bible or a MacArthur study Bible or something solid like that. Avail yourself of the notes, but just realize you're not, you're not talking about Holy Scripture because the question you asked me is, would you start thinking that your take on a certain passage is the absolute inerrant Word of God? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what uh, lots of false teaching has done. And even some very, very intelligent people that ha- are, are deceived and misguided or writing books about it. So again, there's some people that are very educated that are very wrong about the Bible. 
Now, there could be someone listening right now who could say, you know, Mike, you're coming across like arrogant because you are acting like there's one way to handle the word. I would say that's not arrogant. That is accurate. That is, that is, it's precise. And what I mean by that is God meant one thing when he said everything. Whatever he said, he meant one thing. He didn't mean 50 things. Okay, so That's for right. a given passage or a given teaching that he's giving, he meant one thing, not not fifteen or whatever, and that it is it 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 it's our responsibility. It behooves us to work very hard and diligently to get to the authorial intent of a passage. And what we mean by authorial intent is what did God mean when He was moving the human writers, and what what even were the human writers thinking? Yeah. But like some of the prophets didn't always know everything that the whole import of everything they were saying. Uh, they knew that God was giving a word, but they didn't always know the outflowing or even maybe they knew the immediate application, let's say for something in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. They didn't know the full, they couldn't see the full gospel revelation that would come, let's say, in the suffering servant. Let's sure. Say. Okay. Yeah. Why were the Jews blinded to it? Because, not because the scriptures were obscure, but because Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. They would not see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face of Christ because there were believers in the Old Testament economy that were believing in the coming Messiah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And even in, I would, I would think, in Isaiah's own mind, he understands clearly what he's communicating. It's not as if he's, you know, just passively transcribing this message that's clunked into his head. Mm-hmm. He understands what he's saying, and he's building on previous theology. Right. But he doesn't have the clarity to see every little detail of, of how the New Testament's going to come and flesh out everything that he's said. Right. So, you know, just like it says in the New Testament, they saw it from afar, right? They saw it from afar, but they, it wasn't in full focus. Yeah. Okay. But they knew what was going on. They knew God was promising the Messiah that he was promising redemption. And you think the whole Bible, the message of the whole Bible is God glorifying himself through redeeming fallen man. I mean, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, it isn't like this tack on that. Oh, we needed a plan B. Mm -mm. So it's plan A. Let me ask you a question, Connor. So you're graduating seminary, you're getting your MDiv, and you know I graduated seminary the first time in '89, and I graduated again in yep. 2000 with a doctorate, and then I I'm back in you're school back again, in. yeah, just because I don't want to get rusty and I want to learn and grow. But what what is what would be when it comes to handling the scriptures and the idea of how we're to study the Bible? What are some of those lessons that are fresh, you know, front of mind for you when you're coming fresh out of seminary? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot. I the biggest one for me, absolutely, is what you already just said about authorial intent. So that's been driven into me in seminary, and mm-hmm. I just can't say enough about how helpful that is. Because I think before seminary, I, I broadly had that idea. But I think back to times when I was in high school, and I would do, I mean, even to the point, you know, I was so disconnected from the idea of trying to really discern the author's meaning that there'd be times when I would almost, you know, do the, maybe you've done this at <laughs> point of less maturity, you know, <laughs> pick, up, pick up the Bible. Oh, Lord, what is, you know, what do you want to tell me today? you know, slap my Bible open and wherever it falls, I'm reading that passage and I'm taking that as God's message to me. So that's kind of what you were describing earlier as well, that, mm-hmm. you know, that type of Bible reading that's totally divorced from really getting to what the author is trying to say. So I would just say, you know, if that's not been your habit of Bible reading, really trying to drill down to what is the author trying to say, that would just be my first encouragement. Really think about that. And especially, I, w- I would think that one phrase that helps me uh, is the idea of trying to find the author's logical flow. 
mm-hmm. the author's logical flow. So, you know, when you're reading Ephesians, for example, you're not just looking for a little tidbit, what stood out to you, even though individual verses are, of course, really encouraging to us. I'm trying to think about how is Paul building the argument that he's building? How was how is one piece connected to the other? Where is he going with this? What's the message that he's trying to communicate? Because that's the message that the Holy Spirit wants me to know. So I think that idea of logical flow is really is really important. And then if I could just say maybe one more thing. I'm thinking back to high school days again. Uh, a lot of, unless you're you know in junior high and you're listening to this, a lot of us have been in, in a high school English class. And if you're having this feeling like, wow, I, you know, again, I haven't been to seminary. I don't know if I'm equipped to do this or, or handle the Bible in this way. I would just think back to maybe an English class that you've been in. And I think it's encouraging to realize that even in classes where we're studying books that aren't the Bible, there's a reasonable expectation that you'd be able to follow the author's ideas and progress. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're reading To Kill a Mockingbird <laughs> or, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or Lord of the Flies or whatever that English book was, your English teacher could expect you to actually follow what was going on in the text, not with the help of study notes or, you know, looking up spark notes, but just by reading and carefully thinking about those things. And so I would just say, you know, if we can apply that kind of diligence in studying, you know, I don't know, a, a normal yes, book, yes. how much more should we take that same kind of careful thought to the word? Because even though it's the inspired word of God and it's infinitely greater than any other book, it is still literature you know it's it's a message written to us that can be understood so mm-hmm. i guess those would be some of the first things i'd think about really good stuff uh let's let's zero in on some of that on the logical flow this should be an encouragement to those that say well i don't have any schooling but i am logical and i have a keen mind okay totally. yes. and the idea that again you can pick up your bible as a holy spirit indwelt believer and you can trust that God will help you grasp the general idea of what the passages are saying. And I think it's interesting that we sometimes want to look at the Bible in a microscope when we really need to take a step back and look at the breadth and look at the, the scope of Scripture and really go, let's look at it more through a, a telescope even, um, you know. And if you want a scope, we can get a, a stethoscope on your heart and see where your heart's beating for the Lord. And But the idea of microscope is good when you want to zero in on doctrines, mm-hmm. those big ideas in the Bible that, you know, systematic theologians and even biblical theologians have realized, wow, look, here's the doctrine of sanctification in the Bible. Here's the doctrine of redemption. Here's the doctrine of angels. Here's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that the Bible speaks in a unity uh, that is staggering mm-hmm. and that you, when you see the logical flow and you see it throughout the Bible, then you can zero in on things and not make a mountain out of a molehill mm-hmm. or not take something too small when you see a word that's repeated throughout Scripture or a word that is uh, a, a concept, you know. So the idea of how we study the Bible, I think carefully is is a is a big word yeah carefully and diligently yeah absolutely. and then and precisely because you do want to zero in on what is right and true and not go off on tangents yeah and i think that you know just to exactly what you're speaking about mike we're trying to get our heads eventually around the big picture of scripture right because we want to understand god's full revelation to us but that can start at the small levels and then work its way outward so sometimes we think oh i'll start big with a broad summary and then i'll work my way down into the individual verses but i think maybe a better way to think about bible study sometimes is how let's let's start at the simplest you know level how how does this word you know bring meaning to what's going on in this verse Mm mm-hmm 
or maybe even more simply, you know, how does this word impact this, this clause? And then how does this clause contribute to the sentence that I'm reading? How does that sentence contribute to the paragraph I'm reading? How does this paragraph contribute to the book that I'm reading? And yes. then how does yes. this book play its part in the whole message of Scripture? So sometimes following that progression from small up to bigger and bigger and bigger sections of the word, that can be a helpful way of trying to get our head around more more of Scripture. Absolutely, because then then you've got this this concentric circles going out and really start somewhere. Because how many times do we open up our Bibles and say, Lord, just give me a word to get me through the day? Yeah. I just need a word of hope or I need a word of comfort. And you open up your Bible and you read something that's judgment. And you're like, wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> well, that should actually remind you that if there's judgment, there's blessing. Mm-hmm. If there's if there's a, a lack of forgiveness, then that means there is something that's called forgiveness. You know, And so I think it, it, as long as the scriptures are always pointing us to Christ and to, and to his finished work on the cross, I think that's a, a biggie because, you know, every single word in scripture is aimed at, at the big, big picture, but every single word in scripture doesn't specifically speak to the big, big picture. That's right. Yeah. And so I think that's a good thing to keep in mind Absolutely, as we're yeah. looking at this. And maybe just if you have a closing thought after this, then I'd love to hear it. But I have, I have a closing thought. And that's just that the whole aim of our life is to know and glorify the Lord. And if you are someone who is saved, then you, that, that heart beats in you. You know, you want to know Christ. You want to see more of him. And I think we would just encourage you that the way to see more of him is to do this, this careful, prayerful, dependent, you know, uh, studying of the text. Because Mm -hmm. if you're just reading the Bible and looking for a little, you know, nicety or morsel to get you through the day, you're not going to be diving into the riches of who God is and swimming in those waters. But as you're really allowing the different nuances and and, um, just even small details of scripture to start to sketch in more and more of your picture of who the Lord is. I think that that is just uh, a source of great joy, encouragement, comfort, and just a uh, profound uh, <laughs> experience of the beauty of God in our lives. It so really is. That would just be a closing thought for me. Anything from you? Yeah, that's a beautiful thought. I love that. And again, let me just piggyback off of that a little bit. Just as, as our aim is to, to glorify God, God above all and to truly know him, right? Not to just know things about him, but to know him. Uh, what did Jesus say in John 17, 3? This is eternal life, mm-hmm. that they may know thee and mm-hmm. the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. There it is. That we want to, here's my thought. We want, as we're doing that, that we want to walk wisely, okay? So if we're going to say, how do you study the Bible? Well, carefully, diligently, p- precisely, but also wisely. And what I mean by that is this. Um, Go back to that idea that I threw out about one interpretation and many applications, but really a better way is to say several good or excellent applications is that you're going to run across things over and over again where you realize that you think you have authorial intent, but 15 other people think differently. And it's very interesting as a preacher when, we're, when I'm preaching through a book, I just finished preaching through Ecclesiastes, took you know a, a year plus. And I've got, you know, eight or nine books that I'm looking at all the time and they don't all agree. And they're written by very intelligent, a a range of very intelligent people and they don't always agree. And so the idea I would throw out, there's an old saying, you know, in essentials, unity and in non-essentials, liberty and in all things, charity. Right. So unity, liberty, charity. And I would say that you want to allow for diversity of thought. And in those non-essentials especially, you don't want to allow diversity of thought when it comes to the deity of Christ or 
the authority of scripture or anything like that. There's one, one thing there, right? Mm-hmm. But that you want to seek clarity in humility. As you're handling the word, you want to seek clarity with humility and realize that not everyone is on the same page and that not everything is a battle that you need to wage into, you know, like on a discussion board. Okay, just make your point. Don't start a forest fire. Okay. <laughs> and I think let the let you know, let let your heart be thrilled by the glory of God in Christ as you read scripture. And don't let your heart be turned away to how can I now refute anyone and everyone that comes in my path? You know, God may call you to be an apologist, but if he does, it should be a very humble mm-hmm. apologist. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, we uh, hope that if you were listening in, that was just a helpful uh, conversation for you, uh, encouraging to us to just be thinking about those things. And all of us want to be growing in our uh, understanding of the word and how we're studying it. So we hope this has been just an encouragement to you. We love you. We pray for you. And we will talk to you next week on the Ordinary Church Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.